You're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm James Batter, and this week I am joined by Matthew Handran, Christopher Drain, Hayden Taylor. We're recording live near-ish EGX Res. Uh, we're all about to head to the show for uh, a day full of indie games, interesting talks, and the GI100 party, mm-hmm. which should be good. And we, we're announcing the winners later today. By the time this obviously comes out, it will be up and on the site. By the time we finish this podcast, it'll be up and out, out of the site. There we go. Excellent. <laughs> Dating our recording perfectly. Brilliant. Um, as usual, we're going to be discussing some of the biggest things that have been happening in the industry. But in the meantime, here's a quick roundup of the recent headlines. Uh, GameStop posted a $673 million full-year loss. The specialist retailer acknowledges the challenge facing our pre-owned video game business and a need to change its business model. Bioware admitted workplace and production issues. Um, So Kotaku published a report on the development of Anthem, painting an unflattering picture of a project with shaky leadership, declining morale, burned-out developers and haphazard direction. Bioware declined to comment on the report for Kotaku, instead releasing a blog post before the article went up, explaining it did not respond to Kotaku's inquiries because it believed the site was unfairly singling out certain team members. Snap Inc. launched Snap Games with six titles. This is the new gaming integration for Snapchat. Snap Games is accessed from the chat bar within Snapchat uh, and allows users to play games with friends in the app without a separate installation. Ubisoft has cancelled all Starlink physical toys following the game's underperformance, but the development team plans to do right by our passionate fans with a big update. Valve Index will launch on June 15th. This is a new VR headset from Valve. It will come with headphones and feature inside-out tracking, meaning the headset doesn't necessarily need a base station to follow your position. And last night, God of War took home five BAFTAs. A number of indie titles also received awards, including Return of the Oprah Din, which took home two, Florence, Into the Breach, Yoku's Island Express, My Child's Levensborn, and... For some reason, we've put Yoku's Island Express again. But you know what? <laughs> that game deserves awards. I loved it. <laughs> I mean, probably best to start with the the GameStop discussion because Chris, you wrote a great piece on um, on the site about just the ongoing decline in pre-owned games, mm. just not at GameStop, but like around, around the world. Yeah, um, well, pre-owned um, has been declining for a while. It's just that it was thirty percent drop in the UK last year across every retailer, and it was thirteen percent, I think, for GameStop in the US. I think US are a little bit behind with that. Because actually game sales have been a bit more robust in the US. It's all down to is the way Martin Gibbs game explains it, it's systematic. So whether there's fewer games being sold, fewer games are being traded in, fewer get pre owned games are being sold and it's the system that happens that just happens. Um, it doesn't help that thing most games now are games as a service title. Um, it doesn't help I mean it doesn't help pre owned it depends on your perspective. There are a lot of people listening to this who hate pre owned. And it was for a while. It was this weird. I always thought it was a necessary evil because you remember James when we were on MCV. Um, to begin with, MCV was like really anti-pre-owned. Except half our audience loved it and half our audience hated it. Yeah. And it was a really weird conflict. Um, and um, and because publishers hate it because they're not seeing a penny out of it. Retailers love it because they can't sell games for fifty pounds, which is the R, the, the re- recommended retail price or the SRP or whatever um, country you're listening into. Um, is um, they couldn't sell it, they couldn't sell games at 50 pounds, so they weren't making as much money on the games as they're supposed to. And so they were, they used pre-owned as a means, a very successful means to supplement the losses they were making, not losses, but the lack of revenue they were making from those games. And it was, um, and for years it, years it was getting bigger and bigger. Asda started stocking it, HMSBC, HSBC? Oh, HMV. World's local bank. HSBC, HSBC probably did do it at one point. It was going a bit mental at one stage. <laughs> um, and, and, um, and then, but then over, the, but then there was that time that then publishers tried to fight back. I don't remember the time EA put ten dollar 
if you bought the game, you had to use a code to play the game online. And if you, yes. and then they, and then you, and that yeah. game, that was a one-time use code. If you wanted another code, you had to pay EA ten bucks or whatever it was to be able to play the game online. It was their pre-owned tax. That went down quite badly. <laughs> and then uh, I remember what's, what Xbox did with the Xbox One when they had that tied your game to the console thing, which mm. basically destroyed their Xbox One launch. So gamers were against it. It turned out gamers were perfectly willing just to drop it themselves if they were given a good incentive to do so, which is yeah. what's happening at the moment. It's still a big business. Like it's still, It still generates a lot of money. And for GameStop, it's just like, like 1.8 billion from pre-owned and value games. So mm. it's still massive. And it won't, and it will probably peak again. It'll probably go up again when the PS5 come out and that kind of stuff. But that's obviously a big harmer to GameStop. The problem I've got with GameStop's financials is that they've basically banked on merchandise. So they've gone, yeah. they've gone right. That's going to grow, and this other stuff's going to decline. And really, merchandise isn't growing fast enough to offset the declines elsewhere. Um, Game are actually in a different position. They didn't bank on merchandise. They banked on PC. They banked on Belong. I'm not entirely sure if that's particularly working at the moment, but. Um, those are the two different strategies. Those two retailers have gone down in order yeah. to offset declines elsewhere. Mm -hmm. I suppose the question is whether they're ever going to be able to claw the ground back that they've lost through those other channels, right? Like, is merchandise ever going to be as big as pre-owned was in terms of the balance sheet? I, I doubt on it. Or on the, the game well, side. Games position is quite interesting because they can close stores. Like they've got like a half a year, just a little bit more than half a year lease on every store. So if a store starts losing money, they just close it. So they can really, nobody likes to say, hey, we're a business that can downsize very, very fast. But the point no, is, but, yeah. if something declines quickly, if physical games suddenly drop off a cliff this year, they can go, right, that's why we have to close half the stores. And they can, they can do it, okay, there'll be a lot of people out of work, which would be awful, but they can do it without any, without any significant harm because they don't have to pay off two-year leases or wait for the two-year leases to end. Um, so they can react very quickly if there's a sudden, sudden fierce decline in the market. And, um, and then and Belong can continue just to, be its thing and hopefully they can grow it you know they cannot they, they ideally they would grow belong to offset the decline elsewhere yeah. if that doesn't happen they can say cut costs GameStop aren't quite in that position and that's where so it's a little bit uh, a little bit frightening really yeah a, f a few units <coughs> of games being sold in general I mean because one of the contributing factors towards this is that there's these big games that people play for a long long time right so does that does that also contribute towards this massive loss? Is it just yeah. pre-owned that, that's, that's doing that? Or is it just that there's fewer games being sold in general? Well, actually, it's a bit of an odd thing because actually I don't think fewer games were sold last year. Uh, in the UK, it was pretty much flat. I think it was just because with Red Dead, I think everyone expected it to be better, right? With Red mm -hmm. Dead and, and Fallout 76. Red Dead did very well. Fallout 76 didn't. And there's <laughs> loads of games that just did... You thought, oh, that was going to... If Call of Duty was down, FIFA was down, at least physically... Which is which is where yeah. the which is where the it's just reason why everyone is up, people say oh it was actually game sales physical game sales were flat last year and I thought yeah but they weren't supposed to be it <laughs> should have been up um, and um, that's where that's where some of the issue um, comes into it um, there are there is also yeah people are playing games for longer so they're not necessarily trading them I mean, trading fingers trading trading is just the margin so good right they could. You sell a, if you sell a, they, when they sell a £50 game, they get on a $50 game, they get like, what, $15, $20 a title, where when they sell a pre-owned title, it's double that, it's like huge amounts of, yeah. it's the, 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 uh, the profit margin on pre-owned is just so much higher. Um, game have done really well with PC accessories, that's been such a big boost to them, and if you looked at the market data that came out of the UK, like PC hardware and accessories is up massively. That's all up this year, yeah. Um, so it's, um, and, they, and they've managed to do, they've never had a PC audience before, they managed to get one by having these belong stores, which are PC PC PCs basically that people can play in stores and they stay they hang around in the stores 
and then they go, oh, like, oh that, that mouse was really good, I really like that keyboard, and they go and buy it, and it's caused a big input increase for them. So actually, Games Financials were quite solid, they weren't like amazing, but they were all right, um, whereas GameStop's is obviously a little bit worse. And I went to GameStop in Boston when we were at PAX East last week, and I could, I thought, this is this is pretty bad. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, I look at retail, I love retailers, you know, I'm, I'm a retail fan, but it was so much real rubbish, plastic rubbish everywhere, and I just went, I just... I, I went into GameStop in um, San Francisco during DDC as well, and I, I kind of went in and I was like, yeah, this is all like, there is, this is... Tat at the risk yeah. of, at the risk of de decrying merchandise, like, but it's it's all those kind of optional extras that yes, like mega hardcore fans and you know, young people like may want, but for the vast majority of people, like or, or a significant chunk of people who are just going into buy games, that isn't as much of the store yeah. kind of shelf size. And I mean, the decline of pre-owned is also you can also see that just in when you go into stores. Like I remember going into like my local game. And like pretty much half the store would be pre-owned now, and now it's like a section of yeah. each of each wall. And they're not as aggressive in promoting it. Neither no. GameStop or Game. <laughs> so the game used to be like trading four games and get the next game for a pound. You know, yeah. do you remember they used to do, Oh, I remember those posters all the time. You know, they say we well, double the reward points this week on pre-owned. So that seems to be fading away. Now it's we want your phone. Yeah, so. well, yeah, well, yeah. Well, electronics hardware though. That's the thing. Pre-owned hardware. For GameStop, um, I don't know about game, but for GameStop in particular, still good, mm. still going well, um, because people do trade in electronics and they do choose to. Uh, do I, I mean, pre-owned's not going to go, not going to just disappear entirely. Obviously, it's still going to be an an element of a retailer's business, if only for as and when the next console generation arrives. Like the you know, game certainly always do right. Trading your Xbox One uh, for it's the way to upsell people to the next um, console. And the hardware manufacturers quite like that I think I mm. mean, they, they, they don't say they like it but they, they don't mind that um, when the new Switch units come out I will put if the, new, if the new Switch Pro is pretty good which I suspect it will be I will trade in my Switch against it um, and uh, Nintendo that's an extra sale for Nintendo they wouldn't have got otherwise yeah, so, exactly, so, yeah. I might have to do that this time I've never done a Nintendo hardware upgrade I may have to bite the bullet this time and actually do it I think a huge part of it comes down to convenience as to why we're seeing less pre-owned game sales because obviously we're seeing more digital sales as well, mm -hmm. aren't we? Yeah. And it, you, you saw this like in uh, video, so pirating and streaming, or illegal streaming, has just completely bottomed out because it is no longer more convenient to do that. Back in like 2009, it was so much more convenient to like illegally download or find an illegal stream. But now everything's on Netflix or Amazon, or you can pay £2.50 to watch a film on Google Play. Mm -hmm. So convenience has killed the illegal market. And much in the same way, I mean, Pre-owned games obviously aren't the illegal market, but that's kind of how publishers see them. And convenience has been the thing that I think has ultimately yeah. killed them. Pre-owned is to publishers as bad as piracy. Yeah, exactly. So somebody's buying their product and not, they're not they're getting any money, 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 money out of it. And when, when, when you can download your game for, even if you're paying full price, the fact that you don't have to go out to buy it, you don't have to go online, you just press a few buttons and then it's it's you've got it in a few hours. Like It's the convenience that has killed it. And games as a service, again, it's that convenience yeah. thing. The game is free. Yeah. That supplement, so yeah, that, that's the reason why people, so that supplement's actually something GameStop said, because they said that, and they're right, because I've done it a couple of times, is that legacy games are being, the sales that are happening on digital stores are so much more aggressive. So the um, legacy titles, like I bought XCOM 2, because you mm. told me to, Hayden. Um, the, the, I, already had, I already had XCOM 2, I bought the new War of the Chosen thing, and I bought it for pittance mm. on the PlayStation PSN yeah. store. And I was looking on eBay, and I was looking at games pre-owned stuff, and in the end I just went, oh, I'll get it from the PS, it's cheaper, yeah. and it's easier. So, it, so the digital stuff is becoming more aggressive. That explains, that's part explains the drop in pre-owned 
people buying stuff. It doesn't necessarily explain people less of pe- lack of people trading in, but it definitely mm. definitely explains that. The games industry is always almost taken pre-owned for granted I, I, I felt because like it, it's kind of a luxury in that no other form of entertainment really has a big pre-owned market like games do you don't you don't like HMV don't have like pre-owned films and DVDs and Blu-rays or CDs or whatever like you know CEX or Music Magpie might you know give you 40p for your uh, your Game of Thrones box set but, <laughs> but beyond you, that like not many industries yeah. are funded you know fund new purchases by Taking in yeah. old ones. Mm. Part of that's to do with price, yeah. because yeah. a DVD costs a tenner, a CD costs a tenner, and a video game costs forty. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And there is an element of truth, and I know I actually one of my close friends does this. He buys a game, he takes it home, he completes it, he goes into game the next week. Could be or two weeks, depending how long the game took him to complete. He'll go right into game. He'll give it back to game. He'll get a trade in against it. Sometimes he does it so quickly. I'm like, just take it back. <laughs> um, but um, he then gets a trade in uh, value, and he buys the next game that came out that week. Yeah. And that is the thing that people were worried about their loss. And if you look at, it's impossible to judge. If you look at how the new game sales, you have to, think, you have to wonder if there is a bit of a lost market there. People that can't actually afford ten games a year, they can only afford, afford five, and they use the trading mechanic as a way of effectively renting games. Yeah. Um, but um, it's uh, yeah, it, I, I, that's impossible to really tell if that's having a massive detrimental effect. I don't think publishers really care um, because, as I say, they they're seeing they're seeing money through the legacy sales of digital, which works. There's also the argument with pre-owned games that you know, like I, I bought Mass Effect One and Two pre-owned, for example, which then got me onto Mass Effect Three, which I bought for full price. Yeah, and that got me as a yeah, long long-term yeah. fan of the series, which I never would have been able to afford the first two at full price because I was like 16, 17 and had maybe like ten pounds to spend a year on anything. Mm. <laughs> um, but by the time three came out, I was technically an adult. I had right. some money. I could buy a game. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, publishers do that themselves now. I bought Timefall 2 a couple of weeks ago for £3.50 yeah. on the PlayStation PlayStation Store. Um, that's exactly the role that pre-owned games used to play, mm. except that now that EA can do that, so there's really no need for that to exist. Also, pre-owned games were the... When I bought a pre-owned game, it was generally because I had 20 quid, not 40 quid to spend on a game. But yeah. now there's like... but. Th- there are now whole categories of games that didn't exist before, which cost ten quid, fifteen quid, mm. twenty quid, at, at full price. You know when they when they launched, like the mid the mid tier, the the indie tier, all of these games, are, in terms of the value proposition, they fill that gap that pre-owned used to fill. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I, it, it, in so many different ways, pre-owned is becoming basically redundant. Yeah, mm. it's interesting that we're seeing publishers and developers fill that, that mid-tier space, like Ninja Theory, for example, with uh, Hellblade. Like, that was a £20 game, mm. full price. And uh, Bethesda have done it with two of the Wolfenstein titles, the Old Blood and the new uh, Young Blood yeah, the that's coming out. And those are like 25 quid, full price, sort of not really expansion packs, not really full games, sort of sit somewhere in the middle. But that, again, that fills that market of someone who's like, I've got 25 quid to spend on a shooter. I'll Plus you've one. got all the the smaller and boutique, boutique publishers bringing indie games to retail for 10, 15, 15 mm-hmm. 10, 20, 25 quid like, as well. So yeah, like that middle tier is being really, is being filled up with plenty of choice. On a related note, um, and this is kind of news that spilled over from last week into this week. So um, last week, Sony confirmed that yes, as of April 1st, we are no longer longer selling full game download titles in stores. So you can no longer go and buy a card that will get you Last of Us 2 or 
days gone or whatever, you have to buy it digitally through the store. They are still supporting GameStop game, etc. with, you know, the currency cards, uh, season pass cards. I think there are even still cards for like a specific DLC, but they have pulled the full game download cards. During an earnings call after GameStop's um, financials, uh, they said that they don't believe that this will have a material impact on sales because they, their theory is that the people who are coming into their store to buy those games digitally on a card, well, they'll just come in and buy the like the currency card instead yeah. and then go home and download it. And, like For people who don't have a credit card or aren't too comfortable spending on digital stores, I think those people are in a minority at this point, but yeah. GameStop seems confident that there are there are still enough of them. The question kids. Kids. Yeah, 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 kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Children. Children. Children whose parents haven't been stupid enough to put their credit card on their PlayStation. <laughs> yes. Um, or like gifts, birthday gifts. Gifts and birthday gifts, yeah, exactly, yeah. So um, the question I put to you guys, though, is Sony has done this. Do we expect Nintendo and Microsoft to follow? Because those two still do offer full game download titles in physical stores. And did Sony ever say why that they why they've taken this move? I don't seem to remember there being a specific... I suspect, kind of, I, it, I, feel, I, it feels just quite bit, arbitrary. Yeah, it does feel yeah. arbitrary to me as well. I suspect they just don't make any money out of it. I suspect yeah. nobody's really yeah. buying them. They thought, should we even bother? GameStop did, like Daniel DeMatteo, the um, executive chairman at GameStop, did say something along the lines of, in conversations with Sony, it takes a lot of effort to produce these cards with codes. Mm-hmm. So he didn't then say they don't want to make that effort. Like it does, But it does sound like, yeah, it's kind of a, an efficiency thing of just... Again, yeah. again, going back to like the convenience side of things, like it is going like download is only convenient because you don't have to leave the house. It starts becoming quite inconvenient where you have to leave the house to get a car and then download it and then wait for three hours. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just not really sure. Obviously, there there is a small market of like kids possibly, but they like say it's a it's a very small market that it's serving. And if you're leaving the house anyway, why not just buy like a nice box copy of the game that you can have like the lovely artwork and you can have on your shelf. It's it's for gifting purposes, right? Yeah. I mean, it's when parents want to get you. Uh, oh, what do you want? Oh, I want something for the PlayStation. Which PlayStation? Oh, no, I want to give them a points card, right? And that's what it is. And that's and I understand the full game download. I mean, I understand the DLC. When I bought my brother, I bought my brother Super Smash Brothers uh, for Christmas, and mm. I thought I'll get him the uh, the uh, you know the DLC, the season pass, basically. Yeah. And I bought a code on a thing. Then they turn into a code on a receipt, which wasn't anywhere near as attractive. <laughs> and, um, and then I and I stuck it in a card and I said, "There you go, there's your extra DLC thing." And I wasn't going. I would. I wasn't going to just. I'm disappointed you put it in the card. I'm hoping you was going to wrap that receipt. <laughs> no game. Game give you a card. Right? Okay. If you buy these points, they give you a card. It's really nice. Isn't it? Lovely, nice. Yeah, <laughs> But um, but yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I just suspected us nobody buys them, and that's why I suspect Sony are doing. Yeah, it. If it people were. They wouldn't. Have it didn't strike them. me as a massive market to begin with. Like yeah, a, yeah as, as Hayden says, like I can't imagine if you're in the store. I can't imagine why you would. But you've got fifty quid in your pocket. I can't imagine yeah. why you would opt for a card that gives you a code rather versus um, a box. Because yes. if only for the perceived value. Hmm. Like and that that was something that always struck me as like right that piece of cardboard costs fifty pounds. Whereas this disc, you know, like box with a Blu-ray costs fifty pounds. That's the more valuable yeah, product. I'll you buy can that. Trade that one in as exactly. well. Exactly. Well, yeah. In the, code. <laughs> no. the, the physical, the physical stuff as well is, it's, it's quite embarrassing. Right? That physical products do depreciate in value. So after a while, it's been sitting on the game shelf for a while. They need to clear their warehouses. They start to lower the price of it. So then you start seeing a situation where you've got a fifty pound Super Mario Odyssey card up there, and you've got a forty pound Super Mario Odyssey disc. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it, it is just a little. Embarrassing, I guess, uh, yeah. because that's how much it costs on the eShop. That's how much the card has to cost. Yeah. Um, otherwise, people can't. So it's, and also, thing is with digital cards, the business model is different. 
actually the business models are changing per retailer but the way game game shops buy physical products is they go into the shop they buy a physical product they go, they go to a distributor, they buy the physical products, and then they own the physical products. And they can sell it and do whatever they want, they want with those physical products from that on, that way at that point on. With a digital card, actually the digital, the digital game isn't owned by the shop, it's owned by Nintendo or Xbox or PlayStation, whoever, mm. or Steam. And then, um, and so um, that product, they can't do much with the price of that. They can't do no. anything, they can't reflect that. It's got to be whatever Nintendo wants to sell that game for. And that's, and it, it, I don't think it works, which is probably what Sony have acknowledged. And I don't know if Xbox and Nintendo will do the same thing. I guess they'll just look at their own. I think it sounds like that. I imagine they will They will pull it eventually if it becomes too much effort or too costly to keep producing these cars that actually don't sell and don't don't make yeah. much money. Like, I mean, yeah, I can't imagine they'll go out of their way to, you know, Microsoft, Microsoft obviously has been going for the big PR wins against Sony for a couple of years now, but I can't imagine they're going to suddenly come out and say, hey, you can still buy our cards. I imagine they'll just it will just clock on until... Until they just decide not to. I'd be interested if Nintendo cards do a bit better because simply because of the nature of that audience. Yeah. Um, in that they are younger. Um, and the convenience of digital on Switch, so you don't have to take like a bag with all those cards. Like I, I, I of all my consoles, like Switch is where I'm more leaning towards putting digital well, it's stuff. Good, they, good. There's a big hard drive space on the machine. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I bought that big little SD yeah, card thing. It's, yeah. like, it's fine. <laughs> any of you guys had a chance to actually read the full Kotaku article or the, I've read the Bioware response to Kotaku's article I say response it came out before the article so very uh, preemptive response very, very quickly yeah. very quickly like and then, like that yeah so I read the response and I can understand like the one sentence there that that seemed to have angered a lot of journalists um, but I haven't had a chance to read the, the Kotaku article you made an attempt Hayden didn't I, you yeah I've been reading it for about three days <laughs> kind of <laughs> yeah. on and off I don't know how long it is. It's got to be like the it's the other side of ten thousand words, I think. Um, and there is a lot of interesting stuff in there. Um, I think by far and above the most interesting thing about it is is about the Frostbite engine um, and the trouble the troubles that that's caused and the way in which EA have implemented that across their studios. Like you know, Bioware had to build a third person camera and a save load system into the engine for Dragon Age Inquisition because it's an engine built for first-person shooters. Yeah, yeah. And it's... The engine is... I, I don't know if it's necessarily fit for purpose, and EA have said, this is the engine that we use for everything. And the idea is that you can then share knowledge and save time, but the dedicated support team that works on Frostbite is, you know, Bioware at the bottom of their list, because RPGs don't make huge amounts of money. They, no, that's they, the thing. They're supporting people like FIFA and, you know, the new battle, Battlefront games and things like that, so... Because the transition's been okay for FIFA and mm. and all the sports titles, those seem to have, have survived the you know the the, the journey into Frostbite, mm. um, and they're selling. They're, as you say, like they're the big seller, so they probably get much more support. We we we, we, we even work within an organisation where we don't always get the stuff. I mean, I, I know I I again haven't read all the Kotaku articles, but I think there's a few things in there that I was like, oh, that doesn't sound ideal. But these yeah. are big. These are big company problems, aren't they? Where management, somebody's made a decision somewhere way far up the chain, not necessarily thinking how this will affect further down the chain, and some bad decisions and stuff happen. Um, and uh, uh, it, you know, it does feel. Like, what I would only think of the whole of Anthem thing. I just think, 
all it took was an extra six months and they would probably go, oh, we made some mistakes and stuff, which everyone does on every project, yeah, yeah. You know, every big company. And we can sort things out and make people, you know, <coughs> give people a bit more of a rest. And, and I would have understood it because EA are always beholden to their shareholders. So I'd understand if they needed a game out before um, their March, um, uh, before their end of year. I completely understand that. And they have to get it out. So it has to come out in February. But it turned out they had a secret game the whole time in Apex Legends. Yeah. Like, well, they could have just, we just pushed this out until September and give everyone, <laughs> make the Bioware team feel a bit happier and yeah. and, give, and give a bit more time to them. You'd have almost used Apex Legends to did like almost like downplay the Anthem. It was like, right, Anthem is delayed another six months, I'm afraid, but here's Apex Legends, yeah. enjoy. And I think that would have been... I don't think there's that many people that would have been upset. I don't think there no. was that, ma- that, were that many people that were super excited. E- uh, EA don't delay games though, do they? When was the last time EA delayed a game? Like they they just don't as a, as a Mirror's Edge Mirror's Edge was delayed a few Mirror's, times. I think Mirror's, the, the, the problem can, is the, that the, can discourage investors when you do that as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like the, the, the majority of their games are well, not the majority, but like some of the biggest sellers are that they're the annual ones. So you wouldn't delay FIFA no. because like like so. It, it's Battlefield Hardline wasn't it? it was delayed out Christmas into March yes that was um, delayed out into March yeah. they've not done it for a while not no for, not in very recent history for, yeah for a, for a publisher that releases a lot of games you would expect more delays in there and, and yeah I, th- I think they're pretty hardline on it I think you remember Mass Effect Andromeda at, at least maybe not like formally being delayed but certainly slipping back and taking longer than expected like they, they were, oh, were aiming for like 2015 and then it was 2017 or something like so yeah I mean um Anthem was in development for seven years, all, all yeah. told, and a, most of that, as it, you know, most of that was pre-production, and they, I think they didn't ramp up into full production until about eighteen months before the game was actually released, which was part of that, part of the huge problem. Because that, that's was, the issue, isn't it? Like, the, 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 you know, it's, you know, this is the thing: the games come out, and people are like, "Oh my god, this game has been in development for seven years. Why is it so shonky at launch?" It's like because it's only been worked on properly for eighteen months, and yeah. that that's always like a disconnect that I don't think consumers quite get, and wouldn't. I think we've discussed this on the podcast yeah. before; they wouldn't get that. The, the other most damning thing for me about it is that you know Bioware as a studio, they they are a story first studio. They they design mm. they they get the story down and then they build the game around that. Um, and there was a lot of changes with the head of writing and the direction that the story was going in. It was redone. It was thrown out. It was started all again. And that seems to happen repeatedly. And that is that is a huge red flag for a studio like Bioware. If that was like, you know, if that happened in a Battlefield game, no one would bat an eyelid because who cares? But when, it, when, it's, a, when it's a Bioware game and the story is being thrown out like half a dozen times, that's, I mean, you're just, you're preparing for disaster. You know, this is an RPG studio and what they do is make great RPGs with incredible stories. And if they can't even get that right, because but Bioware games tend to, in my in my view, succeed in spite of the game around them. Yeah. People love the story, and then everyone goes, "Yeah, I mean, the game is it's fine, but the story is great. We loved it." Yeah. And if you don't have that, and all you have is like a fairly shonky shooter, which people are happy to tolerate because of a fantastic story, then you have nothing. Mm. It's not like you know, like Destiny, for example. So you know, this is their answer to, to Destiny and all the like. And like, oh, those. they hate that compa- They I, hate that comparison. It's like a complete. You do not discuss that in the studio. You <laughs> do not compare Anthem to Destiny. You but, do not but compare it's, it. To but it's inescapable. It's, it, it, yeah, if, if, if you're going to do an online shared world shooter in the wake of an online shared world shooter like Destiny, you're going to get compared. Yeah. But the difference was like again, this is very kind of out of of. Bioware's kind of comfort zone like yeah. it wasn't the sort of gameplay that they it wasn't the sort of structure they used to deal with it wasn't the sort of gameplay they used to deal with the reason Destiny Destiny when it launched because I remember playing it the, playing the first Destiny when it launched was bare bones as hell there was bugger all story 
but the mechanics were great because you know what Bungie have been making great shoes exactly that's what Bungie does this is the thing look at all the problems about the story I accept that Bungie were being let's not say forced because maybe they weren't forced but they were operating way outside their comfort zone in maybe three very key areas so it doesn't surprise me that much that they had trouble figuring out how to tell the story because they were having to go about story in a completely different way to any game they'd ever made before. Mm. Right, like the, the way you must make a Dragon Age game or a Mass Effect game in terms of how you tell its stories couldn't be more different to Anthem. You know, it, yeah. it's a new, it's a completely new, new area for them. So I'm, I'm not that surprised they struggled. I'm, I wonder, you know, that I. I wonder what the reality is, I suppose. I think the Kotaku reporting is faithful and and accurate to the individual statements, but there's so many different facets to the things that went wrong. It's people being overworked, stress stress casualties, um, EA mismanagement. It's just everything all at once. I I, I wonder what the real key, key problems that that made Anthem what it is, because happy studios make crap games as well. Yeah. (laughs) I think my issue, and issue is a strong word, but I I think the thing that kind of, I, 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 that confuses me is like so yeah as you say the Kotaku reporting is is great and I agree that when games come out and aren't to the quality we'd hope for that there should be some look at why and, and that's the way that you do kind of improve the, the industry is by looking at right what went wrong how can we learn from this but that doesn't feel like the narrative around Anthem it feel it very much feel from what I've heard from of the article and from just the general like articles you see going up about Anthem, it feels like it's feeding into the narrative of ultimately gamers wanted or Bioware fans wanted Dragon Age 4 or Mass Effect 4, got Anthem, didn't like it, it wasn't as good as they expected. To be fair, it was never going to be. And yeah, and so and so there's this whole big question of who's to blame? Did EA force Bioware to do this? Is Bioware's management like losing their touch or whatever like and it, I, I don't like that narrative of right who's to blame for this game going wrong Do you know what sometimes games on projects yeah. don't go as well as we hope that is the nature of any creative endeavor not everything is a hit this just feels like it's got more more scrutiny on it than it a little bit more scrutiny on it than it quite deserves or at least the scrutiny is 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 motivated by a hidden agenda of where the dragon age for yeah, I mean, it's mismanagement of the Bioware brand, I think you can say that. Yeah. Bioware is synonymous with a specific kind of game and has been for decades. To to try and kind of copy-paste that into a new area that is, you know, whether they like it or not, a lot like Destiny, made by Bungie, who are very, very good at that kind of game. That's a more logical evolution. Destiny's a more logical evolution for Bungie to take. Yeah. It doesn't really make much sense to me. Never did since the first time I laid eyes on it that Bioware would be going down this route like maybe dice should be making that game instead i don't know yeah i think people are right to expect a more story driven rpg from no, if it, and, and it doesn't surprise me they didn't do a great job of it if it had been big like collaborations like, okay, like dice is making anthem with a story written by bioware that would be a more that's an easier sell that's a better sell mm. that never happened because like the sheer amount of resources you're then yeah. taking away from battlefront and battlefield and so forth but yeah in great studios though do like to do new things, right? Yeah, and, and you know, and, and, and so, I mean, you're right. Bioware's brand is creating story-driven RPGs. They've never actually been that successful, not by EA standards, right? EA, what EA, or EA, what EA would see as successful. They've never been like they don't have great microtransactions or monetizations. It feels a little bit like Bioware doesn't actually really fit in 
with how EA like to do stuff these yeah. days, and it's a way of them trying to see if they, you know. But I might be, I'm just pure speculating there. It might just be that they fancy doing something a bit different. Um, but um, uh, yeah, but I suspect they'll probably go back to doing what they do best from here on in. Um, and I suppose they'll, they'll also keep working on Anthem, and hopefully. It'll, uh, this thing, and Anth- Anthem's one of those games that you know it can with patches and updates and expansions and whatever. Like a year from now, we'll be reading articles like why Anthem's worth your time now. Yeah. Like, that's just the nature of these service games. Yeah. So, and um, we are running short on time. But before we head off, what are you going? To, rather than what have you guys seen at Res? Because I know that you have been running. I'm pointing at Chris. This is audio. <laughs> <laughs> Chris has been running our Meet the Indie section all day. Uh, Matt, you, you haven't been to the show yet. And uh, Hayden and I, we, we, we briefly saw the show floor yesterday. Yep. What are you looking forward to seeing at Rest today? Well, I'm hosting a panel about uh, building a career in the game's press. So that's what I'm looking forward to the most. I'm looking forward to coming and watching it. Yes, <laughs> sure. Uh, we had the Romeros talk at uh, the career fair. That was pretty, it's been pretty exciting. We had John Romero yesterday. We've got Brenda Romero um, today, yeah. which is why I need to get going. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but John's talk was brilliant. John's talk was fantastic. There's, um, there's going to be a write-up on the um, the website, hopefully by the time this podcast comes up. Um, he did a talk, uh, A Life in Games, and it was, as you expect, is about his life, um, his origins, how he got into the industry. But it's not just about the games that he made. He was also putting it into contact with the other games that came out. So it's like, yeah, we released... We were working on Wolfenstein, but at the same time, Monkey Island, this revolutionary adventure game, and Ultima, like the first, you know, big. These, it was really quite cool. And then there was some great learnings, which which should be up on the site. Um, he just kind of talked about like the different patterns he'd seen emerge through the industry over his career, like kind of a very kind of everything has changed, but nothing has changed kind of vibe, <laughs> yeah. which is really really interesting. So yeah, um, I'm. I, I, although I haven't played any games at Rezd yet, the day before Res, much to uh, m- uh, the events team's delight when I turned up <laughs> at the end of the day rather than the middle to check it all out, was I went to Rare and I yes. played the new CFEs, even though I'm NDA and I can't mm. tell you how amazing and brilliant and uh, I loved it, but you can pretty much work it out. Um, <laughs> and uh, So that's, that's what I played and it was... Uh, if you listen yeah. carefully, I think I can hear Rare's like, PR team like, just rushing to like silence you. Yeah, they <laughs> stop telling people it's great. Sorry. Sorry, um, sorry. <laughs> I won't tell anybody anymore. There is a panel on Saturday at Res. It was yeah, um, which I'm hosting. And it, well, I said it was supposed to be a panel. It's now just one guy, um, but it is a great guy. It's Joe Neat, and we're going to be um, talking about. Uh, he's going to tease a lot of it, I think. Um, which will, you know, all the journalists in the room will be furious that they can't write about it, and the journalists revealing all the secrets and stuff. But um, it'll, uh, yeah, that'll be great. Are you going to check out some games today? Uh, I'm going to the Left Field Collection and look at all of the delightfully weird. That's games. That's always good. The Left Field Collection. The Left yeah. Field Collection is always my favourite part of these things. Nice. I'm going to have another look sweep around the um, the indie room. There was one that I really want to go see. Um, it's it's called Change, a homeless survival game. Oh yes. Yeah, and it's this was this was amazing. I'm going to track down the developer and talk to them. Like this. Oh, sounds um, interesting. The yeah, it's it's you see. I, I was only watching over someone's shoulder for like a few seconds, but the time is constantly running up. Your hunger and I, I, I think, think of the metrics like your hunger and survival rate are constantly going down. And you have to scavenge for tra- change or ask people for change. And if you try and go in and like you know shops and just buy like the basic of snacks, they're like, well, where's your money? Do you have money? It looked fascinating. I bet there's an interesting story behind it. So that's my priority today. Brilliant. Um, in the meantime, you can listen to all our previous episodes on various podcasting platforms of your choice, Spotify, iTunes, and all the others that I can't be bothered to name. Uh, and you can find your daily dose of news, insight, and analysis at gamesindustry.biz. Guys, have a good rest.
Should I do a shout out for Craig? Shout out for Craig. 